MSW Media. Hey, this is Charles Woodson, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn, and I'm fired up because we got not one but two great guests on this episode. Coming up a little later, we got Brian Friedman, an old buddy of mine. He's an author. He's got his first big book coming out. It's called Crushed, and it's about how climate change is impacting the wine industry that we love so much. At least I love it. And then uh, also got a little chat with a guy named Paul Cawthon, country music superstar. Paul Cawthon caught up with him at the Whiskey X in Denver. I'm the MC of the Whiskey X. It's a roving festival of of uh, whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Paul played the the event in Denver a couple weeks ago, and I got to chat to him. So uh, we're gonna have a little bit of that. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Uh, and I lied when I said I'm fired up. I'm actually tired. I, I've been having trouble sleeping lately. And last night was one of those nights. I woke up about two in the morning, could not get back to sleep. So I went out into the living room and I put on the TV and I watched Jaws. That's right. Jaws. 1975 classic by Steven Spielberg based on Peter Benchley's novel. I think this was probably the I've watched Jaws over a hundred times, and that's not an exaggeration. And you might be asking yourself, why would you put on Jaws when you can't sleep in the middle of the night? Because Jaws relaxes me. That's right. It does. I'm so familiar with it, it feels like an old friend. And so I, I, I find myself mouthing the words along with the characters. That's how well I know this movie. And, um, yeah, a theme song. Oh, I should just pop that John Williams theme song on to go to sleep. That'll do it for me. That's my that's my white noise. Dun 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 dun. dun. Anyway, uh, in honor of Jaws, I, I got something here—a little segment we do. Uh, where am I? Drink with people, and um, in this case, well, here you you see for yourself. Now it's time for Drinking with Captain Quint. Hey, how's it going? You all know me. Know how I earn a living. Yeah, you're Captain Quint. You're a local fisherman. Don't you tell me my business again. Sorry, my bad. It's just, uh, I heard you've been known to do some, uh, fishing for great whites. Well, I'd like to volunteer to come out there with you sometime. I don't want no volunteers. I don't want no mates. There's too many captains on this island. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. No, no volunteers, no mates. And you're 
The captain, of course. I mean, what if I, uh, how about I pay you? How's 3,000 bucks sound? I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, chief. Okay, sure. Forget about it. It's probably for the best. I, I got a bad leg anyway. You want a drink? Drink your leg? Sure. Okay, so we drink our legs. Let's do it. <laughs> you try this. Made it myself. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> Thanks. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. Oh, that's awful. It's not going to be pleasant. Yeah, I know. I just tried it. Farewell, and adieu to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell, and adieu you ladies of Spain. Fair Spanish ladies? What are you talking about, Quint? I'm talking about working for a living. I'm talking about sharking. Like I said, I, I want to come out and do some sharking with you. You won't take 3000 How much do you want? $10,000 for me by myself. Deal. Let's shake on it. You got city hands, Mr. Hooper. You've been counting money all your life. Okay, first off, rude. Second, my name's Dunn, not Hooper. And I haven't been counting money my whole life. I'm broke. Don't you worry about you. It won't be permanent. Well, that's a comforting thought. Jesus H. Christ. When I was a boy, every little squirt wanted to be a harpooner or a sword fisherman. Not sure what to say to that. It's getting kind of late, Captain Quint. Maybe it's time to get out of here. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and I got right to my head. Wherever I'm here, on land or sea or foam. If you've seen the movie, you know that banging part at the end was, Dan, that's the shark. I got away. Quint, not so much. Didn't make it. Raise a glass to Quint. <sighs> invite you to follow me on Instagram at the Imbiber, also on Twitter at the Imbiber. Podcast has uh, its own little IG called WWD underscore podcast. So yeah, the Whiskey X Denver. I uh, got a chance to chat up Paul Coffin. Also had Adam Derza from uh, Doers was along there with me. And this is a little edited version of our talk. And it's funny. I apologize. Some of the audio is a little off because we were using handhelds and we were a little drinking and we weren't really paying attention. But you get it. I get it. It's, it's fun. And we were drinking two different kinds of doers. We had the doers that's finished in Mizunora, Japanese Mizunora casks. And then we had the 19-year-old doers, both delicious. And Paul was a really cool guy. They gave me a, like a gold lame jacket. But it was a wrinkly gold lame jacket that I got to wear. And oh, it was fun. And he's a good dude. I, I wasn't familiar with Paul Cawthon's music, but I, I tell you what, I caught him after after our interview. He went up and played, and I was blown away by this guy. Go on, go on YouTube, check him out live, and then also check out his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music, Apple Music. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you're listening to music. How would I know this? What the hell's going on? I mean, what the hell is going on? I don't know, but, um, yeah, he's great. Really, I'm a, I'm a new, I'm a fan of Paul Cawthon. Paul and I need some whiskey to drink while we're here. Adam Durza from Dewar's, our favorite scotch whiskey. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Got a couple good scotches for you guys to try, so I'm pumped to be here, and thanks for having me. Mm. Are you a uh, scotch? I tend drink? to drink, uh, I drink everything but gin. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, you got to perform tonight. 
Yeah. So I, it's like before a show, we can only there, have one ball. Is there a? I was gonna say, is there like a a gauge where like, all right, I feel just right to go on stage? No, I mean it all depends. You know, uh, some nights I won't even drink at all, and uh, some nights I will drink too much. Part, edit that part out. We just said that. Yeah. You're from Texas, for God. Yeah, well, you know, some, you know, it all depends on the evening, but I love to have a couple nice uh, drinks before I go on, you know. Loosen uh, up a little bit. When in Colorado, there's a lot of other fun things you can do, too. Cheers. What we got here? Yeah. That is very smooth. Yeah. Very nice. Now, Paul, you're from Tyler. Tyler, Texas, yes. People thinking I don't research before I come out. You know who else is famous from Tyler, Texas, I found out today? Earl Campbell. Is Earl Campbell from Tyler, Texas? Yeah. No, I, didn't research, Tyler Rose. I didn't research too hard. But yeah. the Sandy Duncan. Peter Pan on Broadway. Sandy Duncan. Remember saying Am I aging myself? Never mind. Sandy Duncan. Old, San, old, big, old big Sandy Dunks. <laughs> One of my dearest pals. Old Dunkarooski. Hadn't seen him in years. By the way, this is the most emasculating part of any interview I've ever done. He's like, Earl Campbell? I'm like, no, Sandy Duncan. <laughs> By the way, so Paul has no idea who Sandy Duncan is or that, that she's even a woman. <laughs> Not a man. Come on, Sandy Duncan, Peter Pan, the Hogan family. She was even in Roots, got an Emmy nomination for Roots. Come on. Why I feel so old. It's this jacket. Wow, welcome to Broadway, Peter Pan. Sandy Duncan with my whiskey in hand. Oh, boy. Uh, what do you think of this whiskey? That's good. I feel good. like I should you know, chug it now to try to get my uh, mojo back. Let me see. Yeah. You don't think I could do that? Oh, yeah. This is did. the first whiskey I've had all night, so here. Oh, yeah. Now I feel like a rock star. That'll make your nipples do a 180. See them? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Now, Paul, you uh, you get three albums out now? Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, three records out. Uh, I'm, you know, we're putting out some more singles very soon. And, you know, we're just keeping on the road and trying to grind as much as we can, and, you know, play as many shows as we can, uh, and being smart about it, you know, touring smarter, not too too much harder, you know. Well, what I found fascinating, too, is both your maternal and paternal grandfathers had a big influence. With Jim Paul, right? Yeah, your grandfather grand- on your mother's yeah. side, taught you how to, got sing. your guitar, taught you how to sing. Yeah. You and your sisters uh, was friends with Sonny Curtis. Right? Yeah, uh, Jim Paul buddy, was. For Buddy Holly. Uh, well, they were, they were, him and his buddy Olin Finley were all in a little group that would play and pick. It's pretty, it seems like it was you know, preordained. I mean, it's pretty or, it's it's organic, but it wasn't like, you know, they were best friends on either side. They were just acquaintances and they, you know, were grown up in the same area. And, you know, my granddad was out in Lubbock for a while, so that's how he ran into that whole crew with the crickets and them. I went to um Lubbock years ago and uh I was very excited I was gonna go to Buddy Holly's grave, you know. And oh, I yeah. and I thought, well, gotta time this right because it's probably gonna be a madhouse out there. Forgetting that Buddy Holly's been dead for like 65 years. Not only was no one at Buddy Holly's grave, no one was, I was the only person in the entire cemetery. Have you been out there? Oh, yeah. It's like in the middle of no, like kind of like in a neighborhood in Lubbock. Yeah. And uh, it's, you just go down this little road and it's everything's so frills and it's got the H O L L E Y, which is how he actually spelled his name. And yeah. He was, 
I'm a wellspring of meaningless trivia, Paul. I can Man, tell you're, you. You're a book yeah. of knowledge. Right? That's what I do. And you, uh, you're into Hunter S. Thompson? Oh, and then Paul noticed I have a gonzo tattoo on my arm. Hunter S. Thompson, he noticed that. And I worked for Hunter S. Thompson, yeah. I see that yes. gonzo art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Is that from the gonzo artist? You know no, I know Ralph. But Ralph, Ralph Stedman. Yeah, but is no, he, uh, he, isn't he out in Aspen? By the way, just so you know, that that artwork was this the fist, the Gonzo yeah. fist was not Ralph Stedman. That was Tom Benton who designed that fist. Yeah. Wow, an artist who lived in Aspen. Yeah. So you worked for Hunter S. Thompson. I did. Yeah. He could drink some doers. <laughs> he could drink some everything. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> how did he do it? How did he stay up with all wow. that drinking? All right, uh, let's try uh, the next whiskey. All right, let's give it a shot. Brian's looking at me. No drug talk. Okay, uh, I, what do we got here? That's why we have post. That's right. Now, do, do you find if you have a little whiskey before the show, does it have a little any impact on your vocal stylings? <sighs> yeah, a bunch of slurred words. <laughs> no. It, it doesn't. It doesn't really phase me much. Uh, if I drink a lot of it, you know, this is my first day in uh, altitude. From Texas, so I can get a little uh, wasted. If you, yeah, you gotta you gotta drink a lot of water up here. Yes, that's altitude, the difference. But uh, you know, and oxygen. It's a uh, it's a big crowd out there right now, and there's already a big a lot of people gathered around the stage. Uh, well, I'm coming in on the zip line on a B fifty two. They're gonna actually fly it in here. It's gonna be amazing. Do you have a favorite of these two? Man, I like the first one. Mizanarcast. Uh, yes, it's got a smoother. It's a smoother approach. The second one has more notes that are kind of. It's more floral. It's got a different vibe to it. Yeah. What so, I want to know is what are these going to set us back, Adam? Uh, the Japanese going to set you back between twenty and thirty bucks, and that nineteen-year-old's uh, sitting about just under a hundred dollars. Golly! I'll trade awesome. you this uh, gold lame jacket for one of those. It's huh? <laughs> great whiskey. Uh, Paul, Adam, this has been lovely, but you got to get on stage. Yeah, I got to go get hit back it. out there and pour some whiskey, and I got to go Zip up the find an iron and get out there. I'm Dan Dunn, Whiskey X, Denver. Peace, Peace out. All right, I got to get something off my chest. It's about rum. You see, all rum begins in sugarcane fields, but not all rum is made from fresh sugarcane juice. In fact, 100% fresh sugarcane juice rums are rarer than honest politicians, slow-footed professional soccer players, and gooey love ballads by Ramstein. Or is it Ramstein? Anyway, the care and attention required to make great rum from fresh sugarcane juice is time-consuming and expensive. That's why most rum brands don't bother. Thankfully, Batiste ain't most rum brands. Batiste is the first sustainable American craft rum. It's a delicious, clean, and environmentally positive spirit that you can feel good about inside and out. Kind of like you do when you're listening to Ramstein. Or is it Ramstein? Batiste is the result of a special collaboration between an historic French Caribbean distillery on the remote island of Marie Galante and a Napa, California-based producer of sustainable spirits. It is the brand's mission to bring the ethics and standards of the all-natural food world to rum. And right now, Batiste Rum has a hell of a deal for you, my listener. Go to BatisteRum.com, that's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N. You'll get 20% off everything you've ordered. 20 friggin' percent! Damn, that's awesome! Folks, Batiste Rum is my go-to. 
invites you to make it yours. It's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. Friends, I love football. I really do. There's just something so exhilarating about watching grown men in silly padded outfits getting in there and mixing it up. And speaking of mixing it up, how's that for a segue, huh? When you're having friends over to watch football, the last thing in the world you want to do is be spending half the damn game playing Master Mixologist. It's a time-consuming pain in the ass. That's why my fridge is always well-stocked with ready-made mixers from Fresh Victor. If I've said it once, I've said it 14,763 times. You can buy the finest, fanciest, most expensive spirits in the world to make craft cocktails at home. But if you use Lamo mixers, you're going to get Lamo drinks. That ain't gonna happen with Fresh Victor. A line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that are as smooth as Josh Allen throwing the long ball. Fresh Victor features eight unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. Mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a blowout win of a deal to my listeners. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Touchdown! Score! Something else! Here's what I know. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. Patty O'Brien, ex-Irish assassin. His trademark, a superstitious man. He leaves a tiny keepsake from his good luck bracelet on every victim he kills. Scotland Yard would love to get their hands on that piece of evidence. Yeah, they're always after me, lucky charms. What? Why does everyone always laugh when I say that? They are after me, Lucky Charm. <laughs> what? It's a television commercial. Joining me now, a wine, spirits, travel, and food writer who has contributed to many of the big boys, including Food & Wine, Forbes, Whiskey Advocate, Travel, Leisure, The Bourbon Review... Trying to think of a porno mag to mess with him. Uh, <laughs> swank, <laughs> chic, um, cat fancy. No, I don't know if he's done that. He's hosted a wine and spirits pairing segments on the CNN Airport Network. And most exciting, he's got a new book out today, October 11th, called Crushed. How a changing climate is altering the way we drink. I'm excited to have him on, my old pal Brian Friedman. How are you, buddy? Dan, it's good to be here. I, I I thought that it was our secret that I contributed in the past to Cat Fancy. So I guess it's uh, can I say the cat's <laughs> out of the bag, or I can't. Say right. <laughs> you can do that. I might have to add in a uh, a, a little hi hat there. But um, boom, uh, <laughs> so congrats, man. You got a book out. Is this your uh, is this your first one? My first one, yeah, yeah. It's been a it's been a long haul, uh, and you you were you were honestly one of the first people uh, I knew who was like, you know, a highly respected writer and author who uh, had. Wait, the no, I think you're confusing me with somebody else. Highly respected. Oh, oh come on. Now. No, sorry, sorry. My notes here are wrong. <laughs> let me let me change that. No, this is this is it. This is the first one. Yeah, Congrats, do like, I'll man. I'll do my Vanna White thing, right? That is, uh, it's an exciting time. So I'm, I'm assuming you've already got the hard copy in your hand. 
I mean, it's yeah, they arrived the other day and, you know, the, the other week and the kids were going crazy. The dog, I think, started crying. It was a big day. Long time coming. How often are you going to be checking the uh, the Amazon uh, charts to see how your book's doing? Oh, my God. I don't know. I think uh, a number of people told me like to avoid that, like the plague, right? Like I could make myself crazier than I already am. So I think oh, you will trust me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm going to make it a drinking game. So every time I want to check Amazon, I'll like take a shot of whiskey and then eventually I'll just stop caring, frankly. I remember just even my last book, American Wino, and doing that. And then there was a point where it was, it had gotten up to, you know, in the top 40 or something, you know, and that's kind of where it peaked very quickly. And then, it's crazy but, though. But, that's high. But you went, uh, well, I think 40 in like the, the food and drinks category, not overall. But even there, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then it's just diminishing returns after that. You just, you know, day one is the day when all of the, pre-sales and everything go that all counts day two is when you really need to stop uh looking right (laughs) so i'll give myself a free pass for the for the first day and then that's it i'll just rely on other people to tell me or or lie to me whatever the case may be yeah you, you you're gonna do fine now let's talk a little bit about this book so i i got it a while back i was i was reading through it it was just a a really it's fascinating and it's very timely, especially if you love wine, you love spirits. Talk about the the genesis of this book. Where did you get the idea and why should people read it? So the idea of it, I mean, you know, one of the big perks of what we do for a living, right? We've traveled before is we get to travel, right? We get to see the world. We get to, you know, speak with distillers and winemakers and farmers. And over the years, you know, you couldn't have a meal, you couldn't have a drink with with these folks without the topic of climate change coming up. And, you know, it's not just about like global warming, right? It's about what this one winemaker in Texas told me. She calls it global weirding, right? And it's, you know, it's ill-timed frost and hail and it's, you know, it's it's wildfires and we've all seen what's happening, right? It's 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 crazy. So I thought, you know, there's been a million and three books written about how climate change is affecting our food system. But uh, we weren't able to find any books that were written for consumers that told the stories of producers of, of the, beverage, the, the beverages that we love and how they're being affected by climate change. And it seemed like a story that had to be told. So, you know, identified eight regions around the world and really just I'm trying to tell the stories and humanize uh, these issues that oftentimes can seem kind of abstract, right? Like, What's three degrees Celsius, you know, versus, you know, 10 degrees, whatever it might be. So really seeing the human impacts of these. Why should people read this? Honestly, I mean, let's be honest. We're just coming off of a pandemic or, or maybe not. I don't know if I can say we're coming off of the pandemic. Can I say that? I don't know what, what, what I'm allowed to say. Biden said it's over. And, it, and it's over. I believe there the old go. man. Well, I mean, look, where, where is it? I don't think about it very often. I get my boosters when it's time to get my boosters, but I, I don't, it doesn't cross my mind anymore. And I, I say that with all due respect to anybody's out there getting sick or whatever. I know, I know it's still affecting a lot of people, but I personally have kind of gone back to the old routines. I, I, I'm trusting in these vaccines and I'm hoping that that keeps me safe. But I get what you're saying. Like we're, we are moving forward. At least. Yeah, we're moving forward. But like, let's be honest. I mean, during those scary lockdown and quarantine days of, of, you know, the early and mid pandemic, 
it, it was these wonderful wines and spirits that got a lot of us through it, right? Like my wife and I, it was Negroni time at four o'clock in the afternoon every day. And that was that was when we decided to be more responsible. Four. I was going to say, why'd you start so late? I remember, uh, I, waking, like, well, I remember waking up in the beginning of it. And, and there was this period where you, it did have this end of the world type feel, really did. I mean, in the early days where you go out and it was just a ghost town here in Los Angeles. So you know, I'd be like, oh, it's 11 a.m. I feel like having some wine. And then I'd be, what the fuck? I'm going to have some wine. Who cares? And what pairs well with wine afterwards? Bourbon, because you need wine dessert, right? And it's, you know, it's all of us, I think, during the pandemic, a lot of people started realizing how important these things are. And not just from like the psychological crutch standpoint of that, right? But, you know, it, we, we all read the stories about, you know, wineries, they were suffering because of the wildfires in 2020 in California. And, you know, it's, it's, it, this is, this is going to be the, the international uh, beverage alcohol industry is poised to hit three quarters of a trillion dollars in the next couple of years, right? So this is jobs. This is, this is, and it's not just like, you know, the folks making the wine, but it's, it's people who bottle it, who ship it, who farm it, who, who make the spirits and the, all that stuff. So this is going to trickle down and affect so many people that all of us are going to know it matters. And I think it's, you know, we owe it to the people who are making the stuff and getting it to us. Uh, to understand what they're up against. Well, speaking of that, I recently had on uh, Chris Carpenter. I, I know you know Chris Carpenter, winemaker up in Napa, one of the best we have here in these United States. And Chris is a cool cat, you know, big, strong, yeah. strapping guy, doesn't seem to be afraid of much. And I asked him about it, and and I you could tell that there was uncertainty for sure, but also a little bit of fear because. Let's face it, out here in California, you're getting frost, you're getting heat yeah. spikes, and and most importantly, you're getting fires. And yes. it's increasingly every year. I mean, these used to be sort of semi-rare events, but now it's like every year. How are we going to – hopefully the vineyard doesn't burn down this year. Or hopefully right. we don't – it gets so friggin' hot that we got to pick in the beginning of August, you know, when they used to pick in right. October. Just doing all your research, what is the outlook for sort of the – crown jewel of the United States winemaking, which would be Napa, Sonoma. What's going to happen there, man? In 20 years, is it going to look a lot different? I think it's going to look different. I think it's going to have to look different, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be catastrophic. And it doesn't mean that Napa and Sonoma aren't going to continue to be the world-class regions that they are, because I firmly believe that they will be. There's a couple of things that I learned as I was researching and reporting on this book. And one of them, the big one, is something that I already knew, but it was just reinforced by this, is that nobody gets into the wine or spirits world because they have to, right? Like maybe you're the 30th generation of some Tuscan family and you're like, shit, the family business. I want to do something else, right? But I mean, most people, you get into this line of work because you love it, right? And as a consequence of that, people in this line of work tend to be both optimistic incredibly, incredibly uh, able to pivot in ways that, you know, maybe some other fields are not. And I definitely believe, and I found this in my research, that the people who are making the wine, making the spirits, have a very good chance of leading us into whatever the future is going to look like. And you talk about someone like Chris. I mean, Chris is like, he's like the Yoda of mountain wines, right? I mean, he's amazing. His wine in the mountains uh, whether it's Merlot, Cab, Cab Franc, he's a genius. He's amazing. 
Um, also big strapping guy, right? Like I'm five foot seven on a good day. So I, we have a great picture of my wife and I next to Chris and I'm like, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm like an Oompa Loompa. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the fact that he's making wine in the mountains, right? This is one of those things that I think is going to become more and more important. One of my chapters, for example, is on the Israeli wine industry, right? They've been making wine there for thousands and thousands of years. But the question I ask is you're making wine in a country where give or take around 50% of the land is desert. What do you do when the climate is getting warmer? The answer in Israel is just like what we're seeing in other parts of the world. Look for altitude, right? Because there all of a sudden you're getting uh, cooler nights. You're getting that bigger difference between the daytime highs and the nighttime lows, which gives you better, more, you know, more vibrant and lively fruit. So, you know, Chris is a great example. Other things that they're going to have to do. I mean, look, harvesting earlier is, is, is a thing, right? I mean, if you look at harvest dates uh, around the world, I was just in Spain uh, two weeks ago in Priorat. Priorat's an amazing part of the world. And they were saying that they were harvesting some of their grapes like three to four weeks earlier this year than they had historically in the past on average. But, but that means that maybe you change your farming practices. Maybe that means that at some point you pick different grape, you plant different grape varieties that can be harvested earlier. One of the things you talk about in the book, though, is one area's loss is another area's gain to some degree, because now you're looking at, for instance, sparkling wine in England. Yes. Yeah. Not a place that would be traditionally thought of as a bastion of great any wine. But, you know, but spark- right. So what's happening there? Why is why is sparkling wine booming in England now. So England is interesting, right? I mean, that's, if you want to look at the geology and the geological origins, right? I mean, you got like the white chalky soils of Champagne, uh, and then you have like the white cliffs of Dover and a lot of the chalky soils of Southeast England. We're talking about very similar geological origins there, right? So historically, it's not anything inherent to England uh, that disallowed them to make great wine. It's just that it was too cold. It was too wet. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you hear these abstract numbers like, uh, you know, the temperature is going to go up an average of one degree Celsius in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years, whatever it is. And it's like, well, what the hell does that mean? Well, in a place like southeastern England, that's the difference between being able to ripen Pinot Noir and make killer sparkling wine and not being able to and growing Pinot Noir that, that tastes like tomato vines. Right. So is sort of benefiting in a lot of ways from this. Now, what's interesting is it's not just about the climate. So most of the producers I spoke with in England, they were saying the temperatures are going up, which is great, but the rain that's coming is much more extreme than it was before. One producer said that when they were a kid, it was like this sort of you know slow, drizzling rain, and it kept everything sort of moist. And now it's these like cataclysmic storms that are coming through. And, you know, you run the risk of washing off topsoil and all kinds of other stuff. But because the temperatures are going up, that's changing everything for the better. And have you had those bubblies before? Yeah. What's the big one? Uh, castle. Uh, the guy's got a castle. He invited me there. It's the uh, wine. They it ser- Night Timber. It's the one they ser- the sparkling they served at the royal wedding. Uh, the most. Recent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. William uh, and- Night Timber or. Um, It'll come to me at two in the morning. I'll text yeah, you. But yeah, it's a guy, that guy, the guy, you know, the guy making the guy the thing to do the wine. That guy. Yeah, the you English know, guy. He's He's got a castle. No, I, it was a few years ago. Uh, what is it? Now I feel like I got to look it up. It, it's, um, 
what was it called? It's the sparkling wine uh, royal wedding. Let's try that uh, while we're right. while we're talking. I would Google in real time sparkling wine. Here we go. Uh, I can't type sparkling wine <laughs> royal wedding, and it is Chapel Down. Yes, Chapel great stuff. Down. That's the one. And yeah, uh, that, that I gotta say, I, I, the other one where I had that was. A couple years ago, the British consulate here in Los Angeles threw an Oscar party. I got invited and I went to this and it was all, you know, Gary Oldman and Kate Beckinsale and a bunch of the great British actors were there pre-Oscars. And that Chapel Down was the bubbly that they were serving. It went over pretty well. It's del- It's delicious. It's great. Yeah, that's the thing. Having done all the research in, for this book, what's the biggest... We'll start with the biggest negative takeaway. What scares you the most, having done all this research, in terms of the impact in the future on the wine business? I mean, look, it's easy when you think about the wine business, right, to imagine that everybody who's making wine uh, lives in some kind of chateau, or whatever the American or you know Israeli or South American version of a chateau is, right? And there's generational wealth and you can ride out the bad vintages. But the truth is, that is not the case at all. And for a very, very high proportion of producers out there, it's like a vintage to vintage thing. And if you have two or three catastrophic vintages in a row, good luck, right? I mean, this is a tough business. Margins are slim. Uh, You know, a winemaker once said to me that they were jealous of chefs. I said, why are you jealous of chefs, right? They said, because a chef, you get in the weeds one night, you have a bad night, everything goes down, you still have the next night and the one after that. As a winemaker, you got one shot a year, right? And if nature doesn't give it to you that year, that's tough and you better hope for a better year next year. So for me, it's a lot of the small and mid-sized ones that aren't heavily capitalized. That's tough. That's really scary to try to figure out how they're going to make it through. And again, I think they will. I think if people in any field are going to be able to, it's it's folks who are making the wine and the spirits. But there's some challenging years in the past, and I think there's going to be some very challenging years up ahead. Well, the good news is if if everything goes to hell, hopefully they got some wine left and they can just drink themselves silly. I mean, exactly. There's, there's the ultimate liquid asset, right? <laughs> That's right. All right. Now, what is the most positive takeaway you have so the most positive takeaway is that you know when it comes to what we're learning about agriculture right because these are agricultural businesses right there's no there's no spirits without grains right like there's no wine without grapes and what the folks who are growing these products are doing uh they are in many cases leading the way hold on a second have you had Snoop Dogg's wine? I don't think they're using grapes in there. I really don't. I don't know what they're using, but it ain't grapes. I have my sample down the basement. I got to give that a shot. I also have the Martha Shard. I don't know why I fuck with Snoop Dogg so much. Because, well, Snoop, did, uh, sorry, I'm cutting you off now, but Snoop made this gin, Indigo, or Indago, you fit, which Indago. it's awful. It's just, there's no way to say it other than it's just awful. I love Snoop. And then they sent me the Snoop wine, and I'm like, what is, what's happening right now? Is Snoop going for the shitty palate market like is he specifically <laughs> targeting people with shitty palates because his gin sucks and his wine sucks and i love snoop music is awesome 
please don't kill me, Snoop, for saying it. But I, whoever, first of all, let's be honest. Snoop ain't making any of this shit. He probably hasn't no. even tasted any of this shit. But whoever's making it for him, for Christ's sakes, the man's a legend. Make it a little better. What's t- Ease up on the strawberries in this friggin' gin. They put so much strawberry flavoring in this Is gin. Is it really? Oh, it's horrible. And then the wine, which is apparently sourced from here, the Central Coast. I don't know. I found it to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, aggressively awful. That's what I found aggressively it aggressively awful. Yeah, I didn't like it. That's that's it. Well, th- but that's interesting, right? Because a lot of a lot of wines that are made in bulk, right? A lot of them, you know, you're sourcing fruit. And I again, I don't know Snoop. I'm a huge fan uh, of the music. By the way, I love how we keep qualifying it, but neither what look at us, we're two pussies. We're like, I don't want to get on the <laughs> wrong side of Snoop. <laughs> hey, Snoop, again, love you. Not you. Sorry. Love you. Love you. Uh, haven't tasted the wine or the gin, but love you. Uh, Do not piss off Snoop Dogg. It's the never. rule number one in the wine business. You can fucking say what you want about Chris Carpenter and the KJ. Do not piss off Snoop Dogg because that'll come back and bite you in the ass. Right. Get exactly. It? So that, that's bite. funny. Thank See, you. that's it's it. Humor well done, on this sir. show. Yeah. I like it. I like it. No, so I think a lot of times when you have wine that's made like in bulk, right? It's being sourced from a wide swath of territory, right? So all kinds of stuff gets done to it. Again, can't speak to Snoop. Love you, Snoop. But, you know, I don't know how the wine is getting made. Uh, but, uh, yeah, how do we get on to Snoop? This is crazy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I want to have some gin now. Like, all of a sudden, I want to have some gin. <laughs> I don't know. I have man. some wine here. I got some good wine here, but it's not from Snoop. I don't know. So what? So what? What was the original question? Oh my god! I think the original question is what, what's what's gonna what's the good side is we're learning about how to handle this stuff from an agricultural standpoint, and also it's forcing people to go to places uh, for their wine that they maybe wouldn't have before. Right? There's a thriving wine industry, uh, or starting to be a thriving wine industry. In Northern Europe. Who would have thought that? But it's getting warm enough. There's a thriving wine industry. You go further south, further south in Patagonia, in Chile and Argentina, which 20 years ago, people said, you're out of your mind. You can't grow anything there, much less red wines. And then they were growing white wines, which need cooler weather. Now they're growing some great red wines. You know, you go to you go to a place like, you know, in California, looking for, you know, more altitude, trying to figure out what else to plan. I got this one. This is what I've been drinking today, the, the Shilo uh, Secret Reserve Petit Verdot, right? This is a great Israeli wine. This one, you know, again, it's it's figuring out which grape varieties are going to be best in which place and then finding out how to farm them and make the wine uh, the best way you can. And, and the best producers are still doing that. This is I got Snoop Dogg on my screen. Are we sharing Snoop Dogg? Uh-oh. Sorry, just had to do it. Just so Snoop knows we love him. It's going to be stuck in my head now. <laughs> All right, sorry. Had to happen. You know my kids love Snoop, by the way? Who doesn't love Snoop? You gotta love exactly, Snoop. but I'm like, as a parent, this makes me proud. Our 8-year-old and 11-year-old love Snoop. They love Snoop and Jay-Z. Snoop's wine, 96 points. Do you rate wines? Are you a rater? No, it's funny. I I score wines internally. So when I'm taking my notes, I have a scoring system. But when I write about wines, I do not have scores. No. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm the point system to me, and we could we could do a whole nother show. I'm sure you and I just talking about this, but I just feel like it takes away from the consumer experience when people just walk in and they they see the number oh 93 94 90 when there are wines that are just for a lot of reasons not the least of which is that it's completely fucking subjective that maybe yes. aren't going to be getting those scores and you're missing out by not trying them. I, it's, this, it's, it's the Rotten Tomato thing. It's the same thing with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. There's been things on Rotten Tomatoes where I'm like, oh, I got a shitty Rotten Tomato. And then I watch it and I, it's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, how depressing is it when you hear people say like, you know, I only drink wines that are 92 points and above. Like, what a, can I say fuck? Can I curse on here? You can Am say whatever you want, man. Are you about what to say if- fuck? Are you about to say fuck, Robert? Robert Parker, are you about no, to say, oh, because let me I make sure we got this recording for the Instagram no. clip. Why do you hate uh, Robert Parker? Go. I was not saying that at all. You just, I think well. you hinted at it that you don't like Robert Parker. To say, oh my God, this is a gotcha interview. No, what I was going to say is what a fucking boring wine life to have like some, you know, sort of arbitrary set of criteria that I'll only drink wine that's above a certain score, right? I mean, to me, wine is about discovery. It's about, you know, finding something new. The good thing is, is consumers now, and you've seen this too, right, are more and more interested in feeling connected to their wine, getting the stories about them. They don't give a shit if it's 92 points or 89 points. But if it's if it's an honest wine that expresses some particular patch of planet Earth in a unique and delicious way, that's what they care about as opposed to what's the score it can be a guide but it's not like the guiding light like it used to be and i think that's a good thing if you had to give this podcast a score what would you give it oh my god i mean is there is there i was going to give you extra credit and give you like a 102 until you until you tried to you know paint me into a corner with robert parker and now you snoop dogg is angry at me i don't even know what to say anymore i'll give you a 98 picking up notes of desperation and uh <laughs> anger uh-huh. there's a lot of bitterness i'm getting a lot of bitterness on the front and then even yeah. more bitterness on the back followed by uh some abject depression i, I would say we got to be french we have to, like a soupçon of ambiguity and uh you know sadness yes look at this i'm getting a call did you hear that <laughs> there's a thing is ringing get it a uh just a, 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 a what do you call it what's that word damn it I can't even think of it. I'm, it's too early. Um, all right. So the book's out. When's the movie yeah. coming? Because I can't read the whole book. I get when. Yeah. Who do you, who do you see playing? Because this will be a disaster movie, right? We got the the climate's coming. We got to get it. The wine, it's coming. And like the sun is just but beams of fucking rays coming down, burning the vineyards. And uh, who is it? Lee, who do you see in the lead? Liam Neeson, Brad Pitt playing your wine. Well, ma- who think- plays the winemaker? Let's, you know, I think we could have Chris Carpenter himself play the winemaker, right? I mean, he could be like, you know, he could be a movie hero. But honestly, Dan, I see the movie as being told through the the very glamorous perspective of the suburban Philadelphia wine writer. And honestly, I think I think the young Brad Pitt has to play Brian Friedman. I think that's the only uh, the only accurate little CGI get M. Night Shyamalan to direct. There'll be a twist at the end. Another Philly guy. There you go. There's a tidal wave of like unfermented grape juice coming at us. Coming yeah, in. Yeah. I like it. I, I crushed, yeah. crushed the movie coming soon. I think there's probably a movie called Crushed already. Well, listen, Brian, 
have we covered everything uh, you want to cover? Is there anything else that must be told or at least tease the book a little? Yeah, I would. I would say, you know, this is not a book that is just bad news, right? I mean, this is very much a book of this is this is a situation. It is incredibly frightening uh, and difficult, but there are some real victories happening out there. Uh, and it's just as much a story about human ingenuity and finding a way forward. Uh, and it's, you know, I hope that it's, uh, you know, the stories entertain people, inform them, and make them appreciate a little bit more that liquid in their glass at the end of the day. Sure, there's not anything else you want to say? Maybe you want to say you're sorry to Snoop Dogg or I want to say Robert that- Parker. <laughs> I mean, you kind of you kind of aggressively went after Robert Parker today, and I don't even understand where that came from. Yeah, it was it was at I, honestly, I, it was like Will Ferrell in a uh, in old school. I just sort of I blanked out, and it just you know it was almost like you were saying words in my voice. It was crazy, nuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I uh, I think I'm going to for the second edition. I'm going to dedicate the book to you for Thank for you. allowing me to so adequately express my admiration for for Parker and for Snoop uh, in such in such a public forum. So thank you. Well, listen, everybody, you got to get this book, Crushed, How a Changing Climate is Altering the Way We Drink by Brian Friedman from Roman and Littlefield. It is on sale now everywhere. Books are sold. Go get it and pour yourself a glass of wine or two while you're, while you're pouring through that book. Brian, great talking like to you, buddy. It. Great talking to you. Thanks, Dan. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Nothing is over. That's going to do it for this episode of WWD. I want to thank Paul Coffin, Brian Friedman, Captain Quint. Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. You do you, Q. And of course, I want to thank you. Because without you, there ain't no show. And that's faux show. Get it? Which reminds me, if you dig what I'm doing here, you let some friends know about it, all right? Post it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, Twitter... Or just tell people the old-fashioned way by actually speaking words to them out loud. Hey, you should check out this podcast, What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. It's great. Really. I can't tell you how much it means to me and everyone involved in this show and people spread the word. It's how we get bigger and better. It's how we keep going. And I want to keep going. You want to keep going? Let's keep going. And with that, I'll leave you with a joke. The man swerving all around the road. He gets pulled over by the cops. A cop comes up and says, sir, have you been drinking? And he says, yeah, seven beers, five shots of tequila, and about four glasses of wine. And the cop says, I'm going to ask you to take this breathalyzer test. To which the man replies, what, you don't fucking believe me? And by the way, don't drink and drive. You're better than that. Till next time, friends. Peace.